This is episode 15 of the TE5 podcast brought to you by myself, TE5 Pharaoh. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Taylor Salazzo, also known as Sir Wallen. He works for ESL, which is the biggest esports company in the world. And if you've never heard of them, go Google ESL. He also has a YouTube account titled Sir Wallen with 89,000 subscribers. And in this episode, he's going to share with us his experience in the esports industry and how to get a job in esports. And he's also going to share with us how to start your YouTube account and gain traction pretty quickly. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Joining me today, guys, I'm happy to have a long friend of mine, somebody that I met, I don't know, for the better half, four or five years ago in uh, Battlefield 3 or 4. Uh, I have my man Taylor Salazzo with me, uh, also known as uh, Wally for some of those that uh, go back that far. I don't know if he still goes by that or not. And uh, uh, Taylor here is uh, the senior manager, uh, global publisher, developer relations at ESL. And for those of you that don't know uh, what ESL is, or a major esports company, one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest. Uh, I know they're all over Europe and, and North America and whatnot. Uh, so he's got a lot of experience with that. He's going to share with us. And uh, he also is a pretty big YouTuber. Uh, he has 89,000 subscribers to his account titled Sir Wallen. Uh, it's a heavy destiny uh, content related uh, YouTube channel. So if you're all in the destiny and whatnot, uh, he's going to share a lot about that as well. And uh, Taylor, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Welcome. No, I, I, I really appreciate it. It's a good opportunity for me. And, and, and yeah, like you said, we've known each other for a very, very long time. Back in the days of uh, Iconic and the TE5 and all sorts of uh, Battlefield rivalries back in uh, Battlefield 3, Battlefield 4, the, the, the glory days. I think a yeah, lot of those people were the talking. glory days. I miss days so much, man. I really do. Me, me, me too. Those, those, those were no, there was no really worry in the world beyond what your kill death ratio was at the end of the exactly. day. You know? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's, but, um, Taylor, why don't you just, uh, tell our listeners, introduce yourself and, uh, let us know who you are. Yeah. So, so Taylor Salazzo, I go by Sir Wallen. Now it used to be scumbag Wally, uh, and, and Wallenstein back in the day. Um, but I, I, I rebranded to be family friendly. So Sir Wallen is, uh, the, the sort of nomenclature I'm going by now. And, and essentially, I moonlight more or less as a YouTuber, but I more or less work in um, sort of a, a liaison between publishers and developers in the, in the esports space that want to either get involved with esports or want to start an activation or, um, you know, essentially get up on one of the stages that ESL owns. And so uh, I've been with ESL for all, almost two years now. Uh, started originally at HubTag, which was a startup that uh, myself and Taylor Ward and a couple other people put together that focused on broadcast technology for streamers. Uh, we had eventually sold some of that technology to EA and Twitch, and then eventually I kind of used that sort of same networking capability and said, okay, what's what's the next step here after the startup stuff is done? Like, wh where am I going to go? And so I kind of landed a job at ESL um, after looking at a, a couple different places but, but ESL was the best one. It's right here in Burbank. Um, so it's about 30, 40 minute drive for me, give or take. 
Um, and most of the activations that we operate are uh, in LA. Uh, sometimes they're they're in you know South America, North America, Europe. Uh, sometimes even in Asia. So, but but I'd say from a, a very generalist point of view, I'm a guy who does esports, but also tries to make YouTube videos at the same time. Awesome, awesome. I got a question for you though, Taylor. What's it like living in Southern California? Tell me. Uh, it's very expensive. I'd say, I'd say the, the easiest, yeah, e- easiest way to put it is, um, it, it's great living. I live, I live just North of LA County. So I live, I live pretty much on the County line, live in Ventura County, a nice little uh, area called Simi Valley. So Simi Valley in the, in the Indian or the native American language is wind Valley. Right. And, and so there's a lot of sort of good heritage here. A lot of good people live here, about a hundred, hundred thousand people live here. And then you're pretty much a stone throw away from Santa Monica, from Hollywood, from Burbank, from LAX. Uh, but but beyond it being very expensive to live here, the traffic is miserable. The weather is fantastic. The people are so-so. Uh, it's it's nice. I, I'd prefer to live somewhere in, in maybe Texas where I could own a house. Um, but, but, you know, for now, I think California is, is just fine for me. Now, now, didn't you, I mean, you've lived there all your life, right? Have you grown up there or did you live somewhere else and move there? No, nah, so, so pretty much my entire life, I've, I've been a, a California native. I grew up in an uh, area called Woodland Hills, which is uh, relatively close to, um, you know, uh, Agora Hills and, and some of those nicer areas. Uh, and, and we moved away from that because it was just getting too crowded. Um, I went to college up north, uh, UC Merced, so it's about pretty pretty close. It's I'd say it's like just south of San Jose, um, which is obviously a little bit uh, west or, or east of uh, San Francisco. And so I went up college north for about two years, came back down, but pretty much n- never lived anywhere else. I, I've I've you know obviously worked for a startup in Seattle um, that that sort of allowed me to live at home. Uh, here in California, but, you know, pretty much every other week I was flying up to Seattle kind of working with the team. Yeah. Hey, before we dive into some of this stuff about you, let's, you know, shout out to you, Taylor, uh, Taylor Ward, if if you're listening, man, I've, I personally uh, talked with Taylor quite a bit and got to know him pretty well. Um, Mm -hmm. But what's going on with HubTag and all that? Is, Is it still going or what? So, so Taylor's probably the better person to ask on this, but for, essentially what, what happened is, is we um, sort of hit a crossroads. Um, this was almost like four years ago now. And we had an opportunity to double down on our consumer-facing tech, which was basically our open broadcasting source um, sort of plug-in, right? It was, it was sort of a unique version of OBS Classic. Um, the, the challenge there was that OBS was now – uh, they were coming out with a new version that made Classic obsolete. So we were a little fearful that keeping to Classic, keeping our plug in there would not really allow us to sort of increase our, our, our maximum user base. And then the second side was to develop enterprise technology, right? And, and so we sort of went with the enterprise option. Uh, we ended up selling the tech stack, effectively selling the company, um, or at least the IP of the company, which, you know, in this case, the company had two products. Um, that one being the most important one. And and pretty much after that point, technically HubTag still exists. Um, I, I still have to file my taxes uh, with, with HubTag there. But, you know, as far as us, you know, coming up with new products or anything like that, it's on hiatus. Me and Taylor have talked about getting back into the startup phase. 
but I think it's going to be something five, 10 years from now when we both have a slush fund of, you know, money and, and network connections that we want to kind of try that again. Okay. Okay. So, so you actually have ownership in HubTag, right? Sort of. I, I, I have a percentage of equity. It's not, it's not that much, uh, but Taylor is the primary uh, stakeholder in that company. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, like, you know, I, I knew about it when it, when, you know, he was first starting it up because, you know, mm. Zen and you, you remember Zen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he was all about it, talking about it and stuff. And I, I didn't get it at the time. You know, I was, I was pretty slow with technology. I still kind of am. Um, mm. But uh, nonetheless, um, you know, I was just real curious about that because I hadn't really seen a whole lot from, uh, from him doing that, but uh, do you still keep in touch with him? Yeah, we, we uh, so he works for a company called Experient. And so Experient is essentially a, a travel agency that focuses on the entertainment, um, very B2B, you know, work with uh, NBC and the NFL, big, big sort of clientele that need to book hotel rooms on a massive scale. Uh, so essentially they, he works as sort of their esports, um, you know, fringe entertainment uh, consultant. Uh, but he's very hands-on. So, so he actually has, surprisingly, uh, every sort of esport company out there, like the OGN, NGE, um, MLG, a couple other of them, actually are all working with Experian. ESL is the only company that currently isn't working with Experian. And, and so um, it, it's kind of funny that it, it worked out that way that I'm over at ESL and we're not really doing anything together. But yeah, we, we still pretty much talk on a weekly basis. Cool. That's awesome. Um, but once again, Taylor, you listen to this shout out to you, man. Uh, I might have to have you on this podcast at some point. Uh, yeah, you need, you need to get him on. He's good people. Yeah. Yeah. He's a smart dude. Uh, all right. Well, Taylor, let's, let's revert this man. Let's get on you. I want to know everything when it came to starting gaming, you know, go down to your grassroots, take us from, you know, when you fell in love with it to kind of, you know, when you really started knowing you were addicted to it. And let's, let's start from there. Uh, wow. I mean, so I, I'd say this, this is, this is gonna be old school, but I, I go way back to battlefield 1942 on the PC, sort of the, the, the first battlefield title. And I used to play with a clan called ATF, um, which, you know, same acronym, right. Stands for alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And this, this was back in the day when forms, were the real deal. And that was, you know, everything was on the forms and, and your, your clan rank meant things. And, you know, I was like 10, 12 years old. So I was absolutely enamored with this idea of being a part of a larger community. Um, and, and so originally I had started playing there and I got into, uh, at the time they called them clan battles, which was like sort of the precursor to game battles. Um, you know, it, it, you, you saw a lot of it on, on Counter-Strike Source um, and, and, and the old school stuff like that, but this was mainly focused for battlefield. And so I, I had initially dabbled in competitive at a very young age, just, just because I was an athlete growing up in life, you know, I, I played baseball and then I finally focused on swimming. Um, and you know, I just wanted always, always have a drive to be very competitive. Even when I'm playing games now, I'm still sort of keep that sort of same mentality. Um, but after that point, I started growing and, and just continued down the Battlefield franchise, started playing Bad Company 2, had met some of the guys that really we, when we went into Battlefield 3, we had all kind of met in Bad Company 2. Um, this, these are guys like Kane, Triggs, Rami, Murphy, um, you know, all those guys, even the, you know, the old school guys like Rambush and, and some of those other people all really had their start in Bad Company 2. 
And it wasn't until that $1.6 million tournament was announced that we oh. formed it. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. And, and put, put it together. And that I think is when everything really, really kicked off. But that, that 1.6, I think changed uh, everything, even though it didn't really uh, happen, didn't really go anywhere. The myth. Um, the myth yeah. yeah. A lot of, a lot of shattered dreams, a lot of tears. <laughs> with that one. Um, but that's, that's sort of when iconic kind of, came together and um at, at some point through that i guess i became like the the team's de facto leader um ma- mainly because i i was trying to push it more towards you know i i looked up to to organizations like optic and phase and i wanted iconic to be like that i wanted it to be a household name at least in the esports scene where we had multiple teams and multiple franchises and we were dominant in every game we played and we had jerseys and sponsors and, and, you know, the end goal being, all right, we're getting a team house and we're creating YouTube content. Um, and so if you look at the YouTube channel now, it says Sir Wallen, but the URL is actually iconic gaming group. Yeah. Oh. So, so, so that's, that's the original sort of throwback to that. The original channel was designed to be the team's channel. Um, and it, you know, I was really the only person uploading at the time. I believe Rame and Murphy uploaded, they dabbled a little bit. Um, but, but the 1.6, I think after battlefield three, moving into battlefield four, there was a, a couple things that happened in the beginning of battlefield four that the team sort of, um, there's certain individuals on the team did things that I didn't necessarily agree with at the time. Um, you know, one, one individual had sort of, gone out of their way and, and making fun of someone that, you know, had some, you know, mental issues, like mental faculty issues. Uh, and this was after a period of time when Iconic and Battlefield 3 had probably the worst reputation from a community perspective. Um, we were known as just being assholes, arrogant, cocky, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, well. you know, and, and, and that's, and that's true. Right. And I think that's, and it, that's absolutely fair. And, and I think that some of that comes with the territory. Some of it also comes with, you know, how sort of toxic, and trolly people were, um, and, and and really with Battlefield Four, I kind of stepped away from that big time. I didn't want to really compete anymore. I, I just didn't enjoy it as much as I did. It became too stressful for me to try to manage the team and also play competitive. Uh, so there was sort of a point there where I said, "All right, guys, like, look, I mean, you know, uh, I don't want to stand for these." There was three videos that kind of came out from someone else's channel, and I said, "Look, you know, you kind of here's the option." Uh, you pull those videos and, and say, Hey, I'm sorry. Uh, or, or, you know, I'm going to quit the team and you guys can kind of find a new leader and I'm taking the channel with me because it was my channel. Um, suffice to say they didn't pull the videos. It was a bit of a battle of, um, of egos, I should say, big dick measuring contest. Um, you know, I, I, from my understanding after that point, the team still continued to play. It still continued to be a dominant force. Uh, there was a couple tournaments, level level battlefield. There was a couple game battle events um, where I still saw the team play. But after that point, I, I think that's when I stepped away from being competitive and, and focused more on the organizational side, focused more on event organization, um, the marketing aspects, how to make money. Uh, because, you know, I think everyone wants to be a pro esport player. Like every, every kid, you know, that sees Ninja or um, – that sees any of the League of Legends stars goes, that's what I want to do. I want to grow up and be that. I want to be a, you know, a faker. I want to go up and play on the main stage in China or, or, or Europe or North America and win millions of dollars. But I think what the real thing that the reality is, 
is that that is not achievable by 90%, 99% of the gaming populace. Um, and, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but I, but I learned that, you know, I think at the right time when there's, there's a better way to make a livelihood and still be attached to esports. And I think I found that now with ESL. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, real quick, I just want to add to the, the 1.6 million. So yeah. uh, guys, you're listening. Basically what happened, uh, I believe it was EA, they had announced, so it was leaked or somebody announced that there was going to be this $1.6 million uh, mm-hmm. prize pool for, for Battlefield. This is in Battlefield 3 and like everyone was just like, holy shit, you know, everyone's freaking out you know, and um, trying to get teams together and stuff because there, there was all that they said. And then, you know, months would go by and months would go by and nothing would get announced. And eventually it just got to the point where everybody realized it was a joke. But it's kind of funny because, like, you know, I'm, I'm all into COD now and I'm into the MLG, CWL and stuff. And I was listening to, like, Crim6 and a bunch of these, these big Call of Duty professionals talk about, like, when that 1.6 million was announced, like everyone put their careers on hold to mm-hmm. like, practice and play battlefield for once. And then like when it didn't happen, you know, you know, things just kind of went to hell with that. But, um, but yeah, dude, that, that was a big fiasco, no doubt. Uh, I wanted to, you know, talk a little bit about level BF. I, you know, you made me just think about that because I know mm-hmm. you were a part of that and like, you know, that was level BF was such a huge component in the battlefield community, in my opinion, you know, back in battlefield three and four, what, you know, mm-hmm. five, six, four, five, six years ago. And I... then it just kind of disappeared. And, um, you know, I've kind of always wanted to know like what happened to it. Yeah. I mean, it, the, honestly, it's, a, it's sort of a tough question to answer. So I came on with level bf to sort of help them expand their xbox scene and this is right after i left iconic and i and i said hey guys you know um i see you guys do great pc tournaments do you ever think about doing xbox tournaments there's a very active competitive community but they don't really have an outlet to play and so um tim uh kalowski i can't pronounce his last name essentially is the founder of level bf um he's actually a good friend of mine he works for an oil company now in texas uh, but he uh, essentially said, yeah, let's do it. Let's get you some games going. I, I cast it alongside Dasgro at, at, at a couple points. Um, but essentially what happened was, you know, there was a, a bit of a, I'd say an internal power struggle at that company between its founders. Um, the company itself, uh, you know, was not necessarily like a, an official LLC by any means. It was more of a passion project by like eight individuals. Um, and that's originally where, uh, me and Taylor got the idea for the caster is, is uh, the level BF guys were kind of toying around with something. Um, and we were like, Hey, we can make a product out of this. This looks really interesting. We can do it much better. We can make it much easier for people and we can make it consumer friendly. Um, and, and so essentially what happened after that point is there's a bit of a power struggle. I had stepped away to focus more on the hub tag stuff. Um, but you know, from my understanding, the company does still exist. Um, it's, it's, under a different name now it's called as azum or something like that or awesome or something um they do a lot of PUBG events i think it's awesome or as asmo something like that but essentially they still exist that name does sound name. familiar i want to say i actually do know this i just hadn't yeah yeah it's it, yeah. that that's what it is and it's uh it's a-u-z-o-m i believe um 
And so that's they're they're essentially it's the same guys run out of Europe, but they rebranded from level BF to this, um, and they essentially run um, PUBG events. That that's that's what they do now. Awesome, yeah. You mentioned Dastro, and I actually still talk to Dastro now. That, uh, actually, just frequently, I just I, I hit him up, uh, wanting to know if he still does any casting at all because I might need his services. But um, you know, he's <laughs> he's a good dude, man. And you know, I, yeah, I, I really love. You know, obviously, I, I know when you stepped away and you really focused on casting and T five. You know, especially BF four, pretty early on. You know, you casted uh, quite a few events with Dastro that we did. <clears throat> and uh, you guys, you can go find that on YouTube. Um, I know, I don't know if you still have any of that on your channel or not, but, um, you know, there's a T5 uh, show. I can't remember what it was called, the T5 Showcase 32v32. And you can see. Yeah. Uh, my man Taylor here casting it. He's co casting with Dastro. But that was a really good event. Uh, the community loved that. Um, you know, talk, I guess talk to me a little bit about like, you know, when you, when you did your casting and whatnot, like, you know, what were the things that, you know, you enjoyed about it? Maybe some stuff that like, if, you know, other people that may, might be listening to this and maybe they've thought about, you know, adding, uh, being a caster to their repertoire. Uh, what are some things they should, uh, focus on and, and maybe look towards? I mean, I'm, I'm certainly no expert, right? I mean, I, I, I dabbled in it simply because I watched a lot of eSport events um, at that age. And I was like, you know, why can't I do this but for the Battlefield community? Because at the time, I essentially filled a hole that didn't really um, have anyone else in that position. There wasn't really anyone else casting Battlefield games on, on the Xbox. And so I, I looked at it as, okay, I'm going to fill a need within the community right now. And, and that was my sort of primary goal. And, and with casting, I guess, sort of comes that, you know, I think a lot of people when they, when they want to go into esports or anything like that, I, I think the number one thing is just not second guess it. Like if you want to cast, anyone can cast um, literally anything uh, today if they wanted to. Um, maybe take a look at guys like The Machine and Golden Boy, um, Alex Mendez, and get an idea of, of sort of how they carry themselves on camera um, but there's really, really, really good opportunities uh, all throughout the space that you can just make for yourself, especially with casting. It's a little bit more difficult now because there's agencies involved and there's um, so much sort of, uh, you know, you have to know the right people to get at events. But if you wanted to get on Twitch and just start casting normal events or normal esport events, it's, it's, you know, it's sort of a two-step. You have to be a part of the scene at some point or know people in the scene. And then you simply just have to put it out there and say, Hey, I'm going to be casting your guys's match. I'm going to be putting it up there. Um, probably, probably the most enjoyable experience because it gives you a very good idea of how difficult uh, the job is for some people, especially like the producers that I have at ESL, knowing what it is to be on the other side of the casting to understand how difficult all of that is. It's very, very useful. So it, it, it sort of hits that very generalist sphere that if you're going into esports, whether it be sales, marketing, production, or whatever, getting a start there and casting is, is a very good way to kind of get a good idea of how everything works from behind the scenes to upfront being in front of a webcam in this case. Yeah. And, and just to add to that, um, real quick, guys, if you're listening, you don't understand what, ca- what as we're talking casting. 
what that means is it's basically commentating a uh, competitive esports match. So if it's Battlefield, you're the one who's commentating on what's what's happening. You know who's killing who. You know who's making moves. That's all that means. And I would just say as a as a value add. Um, if you're somebody, maybe, maybe casting's not even something that, you know, you really want to do necessarily, but, you know, you're trying to kind of build your own brand and, and, you know, have content that you can post on YouTube. I mean, today, you know, we're in a world where people, you know, need, need content, um, you know, going and, and, uh, networking, talking with a couple of communities and whatever games, as long as you can, you know, get in there and broadcast and cast those matches, I mean, you know, you can do it, and I'm sure a lot of teams would be more than happy to let you cast uh, their private yeah. matches and scrimmages. And that's just great footage, and if you've got a capture card and get your audio, I mean, that's good content that you can uh, take for yourself and, uh, you know, show us, hey, you know, this is something I was able to do and, uh, you know, kind of add to your your, uh, your resume, I guess. And, and that's no, it. it's – no, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right, right? It's, it's the idea of, of – you know, if, if esports is your chosen profession or if it's something you want to do, the, the industry is still young in the sense that you, you can sort of bootstrap and create your own profession. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's sort of a problem within the esports space right now where companies are hiring individuals and executives from outside of esports because the business acuum of, of esport individuals is just non-existent because majority of these kids – play games you know they sure some of them went to college some of them may have business majors but none of them really have the experience of a you know a board member at yahoo for example so you know there there's always going to be a need for experts and expertise and individuals with passion in the space as as it continues to grow and and the good news is is that the esports space hasn't really showed any signs of slowing i don't think it will either Hopefully not. I mean, uh, I, I kind of like my job, so. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure you'll you'll continue to have that. Um, but Taylor, let, let's kind of segue into another topic here. You know, kind of moving moving up the the time ladder here. Um, let's get into your YouTube, man. I mean, talk talk to us. You know, Sir Wallen, guys. It's the title of the channel. Uh, I know your theme was destiny and, and the, the lore seekers, I believe that was kind of like the, the, the thing, a uh, ton of destiny content. And uh, I mean, that thing blew up, man. I mean, I was still paying attention to you when you started that stuff. And then, you know, I was looking at your videos. I'm like, damn, he's getting four or 5,000 views on a lot of this. I'm just like, holy shit, what's he doing? You know? And I started checking some of that out, but um, you know, just talk to us about, you know, why you decided to get started with that? Well, why did you choose Destiny? And, you know, what were the things that helped you uh, grow and scale it? So, I mean, so the, the, the original idea for the YouTube videos is um, if you've ever seen uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, EA's MMO game, um, prior to that game's launch, they came out with this sort of story, episodic content piece that was done from the in-game sort of narrative, like a Jedi master was actually speaking on behalf of the storyline and the history to sort of get players up to the point in the, the game sort of universe, right? Had it had passed like 300 years had passed since the Revan Chronicle or something like that. And so it used that as a way to introduce the game story 
to the players, but, but give them a little bit more, make it in the universe. And I said, wow, you know, Destiny's lore at the time and arguably still now is, is very difficult to comprehend, very difficult to understand. It's, it's almost written as a giant riddle where, you know, you don't really know what you're reading and a lot of it is up to interpretation. And so I, I started creating videos, lore videos, that explain the game's enemies, explain their backgrounds, explain the character story, explain, you know, why the darkness is the way it is and why the light is the way it is and who the traveler really could be. Mm, um, and, and, and so a lot of that, you know, latched on to a lot of people. You know, I put it in a tone that as if the, the, the character that I was sort of writing these scripts was actually in the game. So it wasn't like a very, um, you know, ham and fist conversation it, it was literally as if i was voice acting um an individual from the game and there were some very successful people that that sort of took this idea and 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 really ran with it you know bife and malin and a couple other people really have created very successful youtube channels sort of using not necessarily my idea but but using this sort of idea of creating very captivating lore videos and making it sit within the game universe that if you open this video up, you could almost picture seeing this video be from the actual game itself. And that's sort of the idea behind these. And so I'd say the real success with those came from just, just being, you know, engaging content. You know, I picked music that is familiar and, and, you know, like I used a lot of Hans Zimmer. Um, I used a lot of emotional overtones. I used a lot of language that was, you know, repetitive to kind of really hammer in the point. Um, there was a lot of stuff there that I, I was very, I, I, at least I think I was methodical about trying to really think of, okay, if I was listening to this, why am I still listening? Why, why do I care to continue to listen to this guy for you know eight more minutes? What's, what's going to make me stay? So those videos, I think, um, really helped me from a creative standpoint, kind of figure out you know what I want to do with the rest of my life. It also is, is a very good outlet and a hobby for me now. I don't really work as much as I used to on the YouTube channel. Um, you know, after the adpocalypse and, and sort of all of those things and after Planet Destiny, I, I kind of took a step back and now I dabble. I'll, I'll create, you know, four or five videos and I'll take six months off to focus on work. And then when work kind of slows down, I'll come back and create more videos. It's always, always going to be a passion for me. The community that we have created, the lore seekers is always going to be a part of me, even till I'm, you know, 90 years old. Uh, but you know, YouTube as a career or something that I want to pursue, I don't think that's something I'll, I'll ever really kind of do again. I, I just don't think it's in, in me personally. And I don't know if it's worth it. I got you. Let me, so, you know, I mean, 89,000 fall are subscribers, uh, on a YouTube channel. I mean, I would imagine you're getting paid something right from YouTube. Something, you know, the, the, the. You know the real the real thing about it is is that there was a point where I was at ninety seven thousand subscribers, um, and I I got very close to hundred k, and that was when my videos were averaging like hundred thousand plus in views. Every every video I put out would get at least fifty to hundred thousand, sometimes more. Wow! Uh, and you would have got that plaque too, right? Isn't that that hundred k plaque if you would have done that? Yeah, yeah. YouTube sends you a plaque, and I still think about like you know that's that's half the reason I still create videos. I, I still want that one day. Um, it, it, it would be great. The, the problem is that YouTube's algorithms are, are very, um, uh, they don't support the style of, of upload from my upload calendar. They, they support very um, methodical sort of calendared, scheduled out video posts at the same time, same days, 
uh, more videos being better, that kind of thing, right? And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the audience that I had built over the years um, just doesn't have the appetite to wait around for me for eight months. You know, I, you can't expect people to continue to keep their attention towards me um, when I don't create content, when guys like Bife and Malin and other people in the space are creating um, arguably better videos. And, and so, you know, I, I don't blame anyone. I, I also don't think, you know, there's not a regret, a single regret in my body being like, oh, I should have focused on this harder. Um, I, I, I think that there's an unfair um, and, 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 and perhaps even like sort of an uneducated bias thrown at YouTube and content creators that they make so much money. It's the easiest job in the world. Um, it, if you really want to be successful on YouTube, it is a job. It, it is a job and there are no off days and you work on the weekends. Um, it is not a lax free thing. Very few YouTubers have it so easily that they can just upload content and put low minimum effort in. And, and most YouTubers even now to this day don't do that anymore. So you know, at, at any given point I was making, you know, monthly, I, I think the maximum I made was $2,000 monthly. And, and, you know, and even in that, that's, that's really, I think, close to California's minimum wage. So well, you know, I know was, for somebody in my area, that's, that's hella good money right there. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was never, yeah, it was, it was always, it, the, the money was always nice, right? That, that was always um, a side thing, but, but, you know, when I streamed and, and did these things, I never asked for donations. I, I never had that up. I eventually created a Patreon page. Um, but even then, like when I had left six months ago and on my, on my kind of break, I shut the Patreon page down just, just because I don't want people throwing money at me if, if I'm not creating content. So the money's always been a side motivator, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, when you were making all, I mean, how many videos were you doing weekly when you were in the prime of this growing this channel? I'd say two to three. Um, you know, originally it was always Saturdays, a video Saturday or Sunday, a video would come out. Um, and then Wednesdays, a video would come out and, and they used to be, uh, it would be a lore video on Sundays, which is focused on like the actual in game lore using, you know, text or, background from the game and then the Wednesday's video would be a theory video which was more sort of out there it was more like what if conspiracy theory sort of down the rabbit hole type talks um and, and so I, I branched those two sort of series together um and then I created a, a sort of a machinima of sorts I created a, a short story piece called Thoughts of a Warlock um, which sort of followed this this warlock story through his own sort of doubt and and sort of madness that he went down this path where he he ended up killing a guardian and and you know he had a bounty on his head and so I you know I had a lot of fun sort of creating that I never really finished the story but that's that's on there too I mean it's a it, it's written uh, very densely um, but uh, purposely so but. But yeah, I mean, that that was a, a lot of fun, but mainly Destiny lore and, and theory videos. And then I, I, I still try to branch out, do a little division, a little bit of stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, video length wise, how, how long on average would you say these videos were? I mean, at the time, um, so so there's always, and I don't know what's true now to this point. I, I know that um, past 10 minutes, you, you have more ads on your video, right? So that's why if you ever see anyone on YouTube trying to stretch their video to like 1001 or something like that, it's because they want the mid-roll ads, right? Which basically allows it so that if you have those enabled and you're not using ad block, you, you know, 
as a viewer are going to see another ad, which you know, your YouTuber is going to get a kickback from, right? Um, so the, the recommendation is always 10 minutes. The YouTube algorithm um, arguably or supposedly supports long form content over short form content simply because the average watch time of a video can be longer the longer it is. So if you make a one minute video, the average watch time could be five seconds. But if you make a one hour video, the average watch time can be five minutes, which is infinitely better than five seconds. So you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think I'd ever suggest in the right mind, go out there and make 30 minute long rambling content. I don't think that's necessary. But if you, anything in the, in the 10 to 20 minute range, if it's engaging, captivating, and you're telling a very good narrative, I think that is going to, you're going to see the most return. You're going to see a lot of people wanting to watch that, sit down, kind of sit through your videos. You're going to see a lot of kickback from YouTube ads. Um, and the algorithm is probably going to play nicer with pushing those videos to more people. Um, but again, I, you know, I don't know, I, I, I don't know as much as I used to on how the YouTube algorithm works. I know it's broken now and it's, it's been broken for years. Uh, but, but, but that was sort of always been my practice was, you know, 10 minute plus give or take for, for those two reasons. Did, did it take a lot of knowledge and video editing to like make these videos pop or like, you know, you know, was it, would you say it's pretty, pretty beginner basic stuff that you had to do? So, so my stuff, absolutely. A hundred percent. Like if you go on and watch any of those videos now, um, essentially all I'm really doing is, is I'm recording an audio track through audacity, right? So I write a script, record an audio track through audacity. I apply a little bit of a, you know, some, some voice, um, modulation just to make the character voice seem a little bit better. Not, not my own voice, a little bit deeper, a little bit darker kind of thing. Um, the video editing style is, is relatively simple. I'll pull in, um, you know, gameplay or cinematics from the game itself, cinematics from the game typically are made by professionals. So it looks much better, uh, strip the audio tracks from it, um, and, and sort of place that over. And so as you're sort of, you know, you're listening and you're watching, um, I'll put concept art from the game from, you know, actual artists, not the actual game sort of stills, but I'll put actual concept art that looks a little bit more mystery and, and I guess sort of fantastical and I'll apply a, a, a very small motion across the screen to give it this sort of lifelike feel. Um, I think this is all stuff that any beginner could do that, you know, I have never really been a, a super awesome editor. Uh, but, but this is the way I create my content. Very easy to, to sort of emulate. Guys, you listening. I really, really hope that you're paying attention to all this. Cause you know, the one thing, uh, Taylor that I love, you, you know, and not, not just that I love this, but I, I think that, so so many people that want to get into youtube I mean, that's that's kind of been that's that's getting thrown around a lot nowadays you know i want to be a youtuber all they see is these these youtubers making hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're just figuring out you know how how, how can i do that but mm -hmm. the way you were able to create contact and put it or you know content in a, in a story form is so intriguing because like 90 i would argue and say at least 90 percent of like your typical average not the, the elite youtubers actually have funny stuff it's more comedy than anything i feel like but but like most gaming content that you'll see is just highlight reels or you know clips of playing and whatnot there's just so much of that crap but like you know i, I can see just based off you explaining like 
you know, the, the narrative and the conspiracies and the talk, and it, it just almost added drama to everything. And like that, that's a huge, uh, you know, a huge sucker in with, with getting people to, to, to really dive into you. So, I mean, I, I think anybody listening, like that's, that's, that's a strategy I would personally take, you know, if you're not trying to yeah. just be like everybody else and, you know, maybe you're not ninja and you don't, you know, you're not going to, don't have the skill sets or whatnot, you know, you can still be an entertainer. Like that's the perfect example of being an entertainer. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about this stuff and relaying it. And I mean, you know, that's just, that, that's excellent, man. It's awesome stuff. Um, you know, and, and you remember guys, he, he does have uh, the channel. You can check out a lot of those videos. Just go to YouTube, search uh, Sir Wallen and uh, check out uh, the, those videos. So um, really, really moving forward now to today you know for you taylor you're working at esl um talk to us about like you know what how did you get the job what are those experiences like maybe some stuff that you're you know you're learning that you didn't know before man just just you know share with us what's what's going on there yeah i mean the 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 job at esl has sort of been a life changer for me simply because it's been my um you know, ESL is the largest esport company in the world currently. Um, we have over 500 employees. There's 13 offices around the world um, in every single major continent, except for you know Antarctica. Uh, but it, but essentially, it is it is probably the the powerhouse name. It's synonymous with all the mega events throughout the world. And obviously, there's others right in the, in the West in North America. MLG is very familiar to a lot of people um, because the you know American audiences is gravitate a little bit closer i'd say to call of duty at least they they used to i don't know how true that is now um but i but i think you know starting out there i got very lucky um i was interviewing at google uh was interviewing at youtube i was interviewing at riot and battlefly um and and so essentially i was i was interviewing for different positions um so most of it was business development because that was my background at HubTag. a lot of partner management a lot of sort of developing contacts within the network um, developing product, that type of stuff. One of them was a, a production job uh, at Riot. And, and that one was probably going to be the most interesting. I had played a lot of league, especially going through that interview process. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the one thing that, that sort of really gravitated me towards ESL was how close it was to my home. You know, it's 40 minutes away. Um, how cool the job sounded in the sense that I had the ability to sort of create programs Whereas the rest of the jobs, I was sort of, you know, second fiddle. I was someone else's assistant or I was, you know, helping them create their own ideas or I was doing something that I didn't really have any ownership over. Um, you know, and, it, and at ESL, they said, hey, you know, if a client comes through the door, that's your account. You know, you're, you're got to be the brainchild. You got to be the creative individual. You got to come up with programs that are captivating and engaging, got to come up with storylines that'll make people and media outlets want to capture this and bring this forward. And so I, I interviewed, uh, God, almost, almost two years ago. Um, and the next day they sent me an offer and I just took it. I said, Hey, you know what? Like none of the other companies, um, are, are, are trying to play this hard to get me. I'm going to go work for a company that wants me. Um, and so I, I'd say I got very lucky. I think I had a great interview. I think that helped. Uh, but most of it, I think now is is I'm more in a very management role. I'm, I'm trying to help sort of grow and manage a team um, of individuals that have only been with the company for less than six months. 
Um, so there's been some challenges there and sort of, you know, streamlining and onboarding people. Uh, but the accounts we work on are more or less surprisingly focused on mobile games. Uh, that's, that's essentially all I work on. And that's all I've really worked on since I've started at ESL has been um, games on your mobile phone, you know, from Arena of Valor, Guns of Boom, a couple of other ones. But I've essentially been attached to anything related to, to mobile gaming. Um, the company kind of throws them to me and says, all right, you know, you're, you're going to be the one to put it together. And so that's always been interesting for me because, you know, I, I don't play games on my phone. I rarely do. I, I love my computer. I love my PC. I used to have a PS4 and an Xbox. Um, I love console games. I've always loved the feel of a controller. Uh, so I, I don't, it, it's strange to me that, you know, I've become a mobile gaming kind of guy in the company. Um, but, but, but I, you know, I guess life has different things in store for you than, well, than you. Tell me, uh, so, as I'm thinking about it, like, you know, I, I see more and more and it, it seems like mobile gaming is really starting to kind of take off, like even on an esports level, but you know, what, I mean, what's your thoughts on, you know, is that a space that like is really blowing up right now? And like, you know, people should really be paying attention to or what? Yeah, I think I, you know, I think here's, here's the thing. There's a lot of esport experts out there. You know, there's a thousand people who say, Oh yeah, I know, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm thinking. I, I think the mobile market, the biggest strength that it has is because of its accessibility, right? You have a phone, I have a phone. Okay. That, that is you're, 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 you've eliminated one barrier of entry, which is having the device or the platform to play on. Right. And the fact that a majority of human beings in modernized countries have smartphones effectively allows them to play on the platform to play those competitive games, right? This isn't something where you have to buy a PC, build a PC, find a community and get good. This is something that you literally can install and the next 15 seconds you can be playing competitive matches, right? So it's that ease of access that I think makes the mobile market so alluring. I don't think anyone's really figured out mobile esports yet. I, you know, I, 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 there was a, a year ago, I thought we had it figured out, but I, I'm, I'm now more of a, a sort of a pessimist in the idea that the market is always changing and the communities that play and the demographics that ingest the games are always changing. Um, but, you know, to your point, there are a lot of teams now, Simplicity, um, you know, there's Renegades, a couple other ones are picking up um, mobile esport teams. Immortal has a mobile esport team. Alliance has one. Um, you know, Team Queso, which is predominantly mobile, but you know, a lot of these esport brands are starting to pick up mobile games simply because there's tournaments that exist. There's there's press legitimacy. Um, you know, they have huge followings on on YouTube and uh, Instagram and Twitch. Um, YouTube, I think, being the platform of choice for a lot of mobile gamers, but. You know, I think it's it's getting there. Um, it's it's going to have to battle through a stigma internally in the esports space, which is a lot of people don't think mobile esports are real esports. They're very traditionalist and sort of archaic in the thinking that the only thing that can be competitive is CS:GO and Dota and StarCraft. Which is, you know, I don't subscribe to that notion. I respect the individuals that believe that, but but I think that if you're a competitor and I'm a competitor. You can plan whatever thing, whatever you want. If you want to make a game competitive, okay, it's competitive. It's that simple in my mind. Yeah, you know, and I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that, you know, because I've had some some guys here in TE5 
you know, proposed to me, we start, you know, playing and getting on some of these mobile games. And I've never been a proponent of that. I'm, I'm kind of like you. I've always been a console guy and I love the controller feel and whatnot. But, you know, I just do something that's just I've been seeing a lot and stuff. and makes me think, hey, this is, you know, this may end up being, um, you know, a big part of the future as, as, as we move forward. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I honestly think that, you know, you, you go back to this sort of the YouTube you know, comment about you don't want to be in an oversaturated market, right? You don't want to be a gaming commentator. You want to be a, 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 a dramatist or, you know, a stage actor, right? You want to be unique. Um, the mobile gaming space is still new. It's, it's the newest space within esports next to like, you know, VR. And it gives you that opportunity to, to really kind of make a name for yourself. Whereas in, you know, League of Legends and the Overwatch League, um, the, the barrier to entry as an organization is non-existent. You, you, you cannot get it. If you are not backed by millions of dollars um, or, you know, some rich white dude that owns a basketball team, there's no way you are going to ever have an LCS team, right? It's, it's just not possible. Same thing with Overwatch League. You're, you're never going to have a branded sort of team. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. There's some people out there, but it's not as simple as, okay, I want to get five guys together and we've now got an arena valor team and we're going to go play in the pro league starting next week. You know, that, that sort of ease of access, I think is really alluring to a lot of people and a lot of brands. So that, that's, I think what makes it so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and that just kind of led me to one more thought on this topic. Um, you know, obviously people that aspire and want to become pro players, you know, I think the, the market right now, there's so much, uh, untapped potential when it comes to that amateur level development uh, of league and stuff. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm trying to kind of take T5 in a, in a direction that's going to allow me to kind of position myself and try to develop esports, you know, as the middleman almost between, right. you know, the pros and your average Joe, because at this point it, there's really is no middleman. It's, it's literally, you got the two extremes and, you know, your chance of getting obviously to the top, as you said, probably less than 1%. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the development of the, the amateur level is, is so essential and it's going to happen. I mean, I've already seen uh, companies in different parts over the country that are starting stuff for, you know, younger kids, like, you know, 10 year olds, 10, 13, 14 year olds, like they're actually putting land esports circuits in, in these localized areas and, you know, creating that atmosphere that's, you know, one day probably going to produce quite a bit of uh, professional esports players that will go on to play for the pros. But um, mm -hmm. that's a wide open space. And, uh, you know, obviously, rather that's mobile, that's console, it's PC. You know, uh, I definitely think it's important that people that are wanting to get into this space or maybe you want to start your own organization or your company need to be thinking about some of this stuff along those lines. Um, awesome yeah. stuff, there, Taylor, man. Appreciate it. Uh, I mean, that, that's a ton of value, guys. Uh, we're going to let him – I'm going to have ask him a couple more questions, though, and I'm sure there's some people listening right now that, um, you know, maybe you you've, you want to work in esports, okay? Maybe, you're, you know, you're working at a grocery store, you're working somewhere, and you're just, you know, you're sick of it. You actually want to get into esports. Uh, Taylor, tell us, like, you know, for somebody that 
you know, wants to work at an ESL or a Riot or an EA or whatever the case may be at, at that level, like what are some things they should uh, prepare for, um, work on, stuff that can uh, improve their chances of being able to, you know, land the job? So, so my, my immediate recommendation is, is, is never, uh, I, I, I wouldn't do what I did, which is try to start at the top, um, you know, and, and go for a riot or an ESL right at the beginning, um, simply because I think you have more potential for growth at grassroots type stuff. Um, you know, the, the tournaments and events that Battlefy is putting on, for example, or, or Smash GG, guys that are putting on events in the fighting leagues. Um, these are things that are, are not necessarily supported by large conglomerates or huge organizations, um, but more or less very, very passionate people. And, and I had a, a, an informational interview that I did at ESL uh, two weeks ago to a guy who just got out of college. And I basically told him the same thing. I said, if you want to be successful in the space, you need two things. You need to find a mentor, one, someone who knows a shit ton more than you, much older than you, has been around the block and can answer questions and open doors for you. And you need to have grassroots experience. Those are the two most important things in esports. Um, and, and, you know, there, there's other things that sort of go in there. There's a lot of very arrogant um, expert esport experts out there. Um, always be willing to, to sort of be wrong, always be willing to be humble. Um, and, and, you know, if you don't know something, it's, it's like they told you in school, there's no such thing as a stupid question. So, I mean, I, I think those thing, three things are the most important. It's, it's having that mentor, having grassroots experience and, and really being humble. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. So we are going to, that's going to wrap up uh, our main part of the podcast. Now we're going to move to our final segment, the, the uh, fire round, uh, which, as you guys have know, I've said this many times. Last five minutes, I'm going to ask Taylor here a series of personal questions. He has the right <laughs> to either answer them or pass, and uh, hopefully he'll answer them. So we'll see. Many as can. <laughs> All right. First question. First question. What is your biggest pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve. Yep. Uh, I I really don't like it when people don't use their blinkers, man, when they're turning. That shit irritates me hardcore. You got, you, you got, hella, you got hella road rage. I mean, you live in LA, I would assume. So, I I mean, it's just like you know, you, you're you're driving along and you know you're minding your own business on the freeway, and then some guy's just like, oh, I'm gonna come over right in front of you and then slow you down. It, it's that type of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, if if that individual threw his blinker on, I'd have you know less of an issue. But, but yeah, a little bit of road rage for sure. Yeah, well, that's definitely not family friendly, so we won't go into that. Um, <laughs> what song, or it could be an artist, whichever, but what song or what are you listening to that you would be embarrassed for anybody else to know about right now? What are you listening to? Oh, God. Um, oh, man, this, this is tough. I've got some, like, I've got uh, a bunch of, like, um old school like super mash bros remixes on there from my college days that are that like when i was i thought i was the shit in college i love listening to this stuff and it was like mashups of like all the old schools like 90 early early 2000s artists there's some songs uh, in my gym playlist that if anyone like looked over my phone um you know i i wouldn't want them listening to what i'm listening to you know it's just it's like old school very cringy type shit that gets me motivated very silly but um, also very kind of close to me. Like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm not listening to like hardcore rap or something. 
Well, I want to hear what you're listening to at some point. <laughs> I'll send you some links. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. All right, what is the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? The dumbest thing I've ever spent money on? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I, oh, yeah, this is good. Um, so I got really big into fantasy football this year. Really, really big. I went to the, I went to the championship. Uh, I I played, I played pretty fucking hardcore. I had a very good team. And during the the playoffs, the sort of last two games that I had to play, I bought into a sort of, you know, uh, fantasy experts sort of stat picks and, and, and who to play, who not to play type thing. Cost me like 80 bucks. Um, and they sent you out an Excel spreadsheet that basically said, hey, here's who you should play. Here's who you shouldn't play. A lot of details and shit in there. Um, suffice to say, I followed the advice of, of, the, of the thing and, and not really playing the players who got me to the championship. And I ended up losing the championship by like 10 points or you know 20 points or something. So easily the dumbest thing I've ever bought. Probably never will do that again. Wow. I got you, man. Um, <laughs> next, next one. Uh, what is the craziest thing you've ever done for love? Craziest thing I've ever done for love. Yep. Uh, well, I, I, I think a, a, a big one right now is, is kind of what, what me and my girl are doing. You know, I've never moved in with a girl in my entire life. Um, you know, I, I, I'm extremely open to sort of supporting the, the, the family, so to speak, the, her, her and I from a monetary perspective. Um, I've done some things from like a financial and a logistical perspective that I don't think is very rational. Um, but, but I think, you know, without getting too deep into it, I've done a lot of things I think in this relationship that I'll, I think a lot of other people may have not done um, all in the name of, Hey, you know, I, I love this person kind of thing. So that's, that's, that's kind of it. I, I I'm, Strictly vague, but yeah, that's that's kind so of where I'm at. Moving in with a girl has been the craziest thing you've ever done for love. Yeah, I'd I'd say so. A couple other things in that little window, but yeah. Oh boy, yeah. One thing leads to another. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, she wants a cat now. We're we're getting a cat tomorrow, oh, apparently. So okay, we're taking baby steps. Taking baby steps. <laughs> it's all good, man. I got a, I got a wife and two year old son, so just wait. <laughs> it's coming man it's coming i'm excited <laughs> yeah yeah uh what is your worst habit currently what's your worst habit? my worst habit um procrastination 100 percent um my youtube videos are a good example i've had all day pretty much free time friday haven't written any of my script um and, and that's just, you know, I think it's, I think it's just the idea of I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Um, that's, that's my worst habit. I'm, I'm trying to work on it, but it's, it's more of a discipline thing. I just have to kind of force myself to start writing, you know, and say, Hey, you know, I should get a little bit, little bit of pieces done each time. It's like when you did uh, or studied in college or did any type of homework in college, they always said, do a little bit at a time. Don't leave it to the last minute. Um, that if, if, if I could go back, yeah, never listen to that. But if but if I could go back and, and attach myself to one principle, it, it would be that. Like piecemeal your work so you're not all leaving everything to the last minute, you're not stressing out. You know, I don't have hair anymore, you know, and I think a lot of that's stress. So Yeah, well I get why you and Tanner get along so well now. So 
<laughs> uh, what is the best gift you've ever received? The best gift I've ever received. Um, man, you know, that, that, that's a tough one, but, uh, you know, I, that, that's tough. You know, I'm not, I'm not really the, the sentimental type to be, to be honest. So I don't really have anything that kind of goes to the top of my list of like the best gift, you know, it's, whatever is, uh, whatever's right there. You're thinking about whatever first, first thing you thought about, what is it? Well, I mean, my girlfriend got me a new Razer keyboard uh, for Christmas, and that that was pretty fucking awesome. So, that's know, nice. man, she's a keeper. Yeah, I know. She's I, a I, I, she's uh, she's slowly convincing me this. So, I don't. Have you been talking to her? I'm just no. Nah, man, you don't want that. <laughs> I took put my late DM uh, DJ voice on, man. <laughs> you don't want me around you. Trust me. You guys are in, I just, you know, it just sounds like you guys are in collusion. So, you know, I'm just curious. All right, man. So I just now, like literally as we were talking, I've added one new question that I've not asked anybody. I don't know how this is going to go. And uh, okay. I don't know how well, you feel, if your girl knows about any of this stuff, if she, if she don't, then you probably don't want to let her listen to this, but I do want to <laughs> ask this. Um, yeah. Explain your worst uh, relationship breakup. Oh, my worst relationship like, what was breakup. The worst breakup you ever had? How did it go? Um, so high school. Um, it's it's okay. My girl actually already knows about this one. Good. Okay, we're good then. Uh, high school around the time of prom. Um, the girl I was seeing at the time, the love of my life, quote unquote. Um, you know, had cheated on me, right? Cheated on me with some football player. Um, I was not the most faithful person in the world. So, you know, I, I don't think this matters, but it was, it was probably the, like the worst and most painful experience of like going to prom with someone, not really being with that person, having that person then go to the prom after party that you got disinvited to because she was a part of the popular group and you weren't. Um, you know, kind of spending prom night without anybody kind of thing. I mean, I think suffice to say I did deserve it in hindsight, just because I wasn't the most faithful person in that relationship, but that was like the worst breakup ever. It was like, you know, I called her when we broke up, I called her like eight times in a row and she never picked up. You know, I, I did all sorts of things that kind of made me look like a little bitch. Uh, So that was, easily the worst thing. I learned a lot from that. Thankfully, I learned a lot of like humility and I, I kind of coursed up a little bit my heart just to kind of not act so foolish ever again. But yeah, that was probably the worst thing ever about 10 years ago. Don't worry, man. We all acted like a little bitch at some point. So. <laughs> I'm trying to keep this from going rated R, but you know, it's something to, the, the loving gets to you when you first get in it, you know? <laughs> no, unfortunately. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome stuff, man. Well, listen to it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast and then wrap it up for us here on this episode. Uh, guys, make sure uh, you go on uh, Twitter search. Uh, t- it's actually just your name, right? At Taylor Salazzo. No, it's at, it's at Sir Wallen. Easy. Okay. Just like 
Yeah. All right, so at Sir Wallen, make sure you guys go follow him. Go check him out on YouTube. Even though he may not be posting a lot of content, man, there's a lot of stuff that's like really, really cool he's already done uh, if you're into the destiny and that whole story. So, you know, go check that out. Subscribe to him if you like that stuff. Are you on Instagram too, Toby? Uh, yeah, but you know, that, that, that's not important that, that I don't, I never post on that. So okay, well, forget his Instagram then check him out <laughs> on Twitter, check him out on YouTube guys. It's a pleasure having you, man. I'm sure we'll have you again, uh, at some point. And, um, is there any last shout outs you want to give? No, I just, I just want to say, uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's a huge honor to, to, to kind of, to be on this and, it's, it's good to see the, the community of, you know, five years ago still sticking together. So it's, it's been my pleasure throughout this. Awesome, man. We'll be sure to share this when I send you the link, okay? I will. I thought I will do. Easy. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right, brother. It's been good. You take care, everybody right. else. We'll see you next time.